Um, the end of August is one of is probably the hardest time of the year for me to live in Pullman. And I think it's because it's too hot to do anything. It's often too smoky to do anything. And I'm a little bit of a person who likes to play a lot and do what I want to do kind of when I want to do it and work. And when the fall comes, somebody else puts a, this is what you will do. You will wake up at this time and get your children to school at this time. And, and you, will, you need to start these things. And it's, it's very hard for me. And um, I'm wondering, do you guys have times a year that are just harder for you? I know sometimes it's Christmas for people. Sometimes it's, and um, I think it's just really good to name your time. Like, this is hard for me. And I find myself clinging closer to God and, like, listening and just saying, this is hard for me. And um, it's kind of new for me this year. Instead of fighting it and, like, rawr, I'm just saying, this is hard for me. I will get through this. God is with me. There's still a little bit of rawr. In me. There is a little bit of rawr in me. So um, I don't know. I think it's part of being human that there are just times that are harder for us. And God is with us. God is near. All right. You guys know where we're at. What book are we in? Oh, God. They put it on the screen. Oh, <laughs> I was like, it'd be terrible if we'd been here for like six weeks. You're like, I just don't remember. <laughs> hey, Carrie, take that slide down for half a second. Uh, <laughs> Let's test them. Let's test them. No. Take that down for half a no. second. Let's no, just no, see where no. it is. No, thank you. No. Yeah. Yeah. So what book are we in? <laughs> oh, thank you. A couple of people are thank like, what? You. what? Where? I don't know. So we're in, the, we're in the middle. And this is the part where Paul does a change, and he's going to take a turn, and he's going to teach a little differently. So uh, you had some thoughts on that. Go for it. Well, he's going to move from my teaching to your teaching is, is what's happening. Um, the first half of the book is very much uh, it, it's, it's concepts and ideas. He's like, okay, somebody preached the gospel to you, and now we're going to, I explained it to you. I gave you greater understanding about it. And so that's the first half. Here's big concepts, big ideas, my kind of teaching. And now he's going to take a turn, and he says, but now I want to get practical. It's just Heidi's kind of teaching. But I also have to tell you that Paul's idea of practical is a little bit more like my idea of practical, which is still big concepts and ideas, and less like, here is the roadmap for how you do it. If you do these three steps, you will have lived out the gospel perfectly. And so we're going to be tackling some really big ideas and yet it is still very practical. Do you want to say anything about it? No? Okay. So I think we're going to do is dive into the text. Um, and so if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, I've got a new Bible here that doesn't like to stay open. So give me a second. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. That's what I said, Ephesians mm -hmm. 3. Yeah, I know. And Carrie has it up there for you. Uh, before we jump in, let's pray. Father, I pray today that in this time that we pause in the midst of our week to be still, to be quiet, to open your word, um, that we would encounter you. No matter if we come today and we're excited and we're joyful and we have new things and we're in a new town, or we come and we're just like, this is kind of hard. Wherever we are in the spectrum, God, you are here. You are with us. Jesus, I pray that you would speak through Jamie and I, and that you would speak to, by your Holy Spirit, 
each one, you all sitting out here today. Thank you that you do that. It's amazing. It's a mystery how you could do that. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to read it together, not at the same time, but half and half. Mm -hmm. uh, did want to remind you, and we didn't talk about this, but last week we talked about the word you in this book is better translated as y'all. So we'll try to slip that in there. But every time you read it, you're going to change it to what? Y'all. All y'alls. Exactly. All, All right. So they're, they're ready now. We're you, you pulling might... out our inner Texas up here in Washington. I prefer Louisiana. Okay. You all. No, if we use that. Okay. I, therefore, this is Paul speaking, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Whew. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he, all, he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? See, practical. This gets confusing, guys. Hold on. We're, we're peeking out back there. You hear the boom, boom. We keep getting that. So bring, you need to bring our lows up a little bit, I think. All right, where am I at? Verse 9. When, he, when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed about to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the growth, body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the practical word of God <laughs> for God's people. Oh, thanks, thanks be to, to God. God. Even as you were reading, I was like, wow, we're going to tackle to uh, make sense of this today. This is one of those passages this week where you study it and you study it, and then you find yourself being like, what was the point? You know, when you follow these, like this word, and then you follow this word, and you're like, you're in the middle of it, and you get towards the middle of the week, and you're like, what was he saying? And to pull it back in, and to remember, and to remind myself, Paul is talking about us maturing. What does it look like 
for us to grow up and not be immature. He loves to use those pictures, like that kind of crazy picture of you see the boat like this and the baby. Isn't that just a crazy picture? Like, he's like, no more of that, please. Let's not. Let's move away from that. In unity. It reminds me a little bit of, of the, the prayer, or not the prayer, you know, the thing that we said when we were little kids. Uh, uh, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. So it's like this image of a baby in a cradle in a tree, and it's nuts. And that's kind of the same image that Paul is giving of a baby in a boat in a let's rocking ocean. That. Let's not be that. Let's grow up. Let's grow up. All right. Let's start at the beginning because there's a lot, and I'm kind of excited. I had a lot of fun studying this week. So we're going to start at the top. Um, so he says, you have been called... You have been called. He's like, I beg you, you're called to this life. A lot of translations use you have been called to walk, or you've been called to run, or you've been called on a journey. And I love that language because you can so easily see your life. So you've been called to walk in humility. You have been called to walk in gentleness. You have been called to walk in patience and to bear one another with love, which literally means we have been called to carry one another to just carry as believers. So this is what it looks like for us. This is what we've called to walk in. That means it doesn't just happen. I can't just miraculously be like, may I be patient and I'll be patient. And what I also see is that these are all things you can't do on your own. You can't be an extremely humble person all on your own in your own house. You have to be humble in relation to other people. You cannot be a gentle person and be like, I am a gentle person all by myself without having to deal with other people. All these things, you only learn patience because there are people around you that try your patience. That is how you learn patience. And you can only be with other people if you are carrying them. And have you not, if you have been around here for a while, have you not had times when you've been carried? I, I know that those of us who've been here have been carried at times. So you cannot do any of these things on your own. And it's important to remember that in this community, you help other people to become gentle. Because you are the difficult one for them. You help them to be patient. You help them to do all these things. And I, I, your leader, am the one that causes some of you to be very patient because I am very difficult for you to be patient with. Or I am the one who's helping you be gentle because sometimes I make you a little bit angry. We do this for each other. I am the hard one for some of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I'm growing and maturing, and it's vice versa. So I just thought it was fair to note. To note. I'm not saying it's you all. It's you all, including us. And that's where that word humility comes in. <laughs> where she said, I'm sorry. You know, we've got to have enough humility in us to be able to admit when we're wrong and admit when we fail, when we fall short of God's standard. I like later he says to the full measure of Christ, like the measuring stick isn't a good person. The measuring stick is Jesus. And that's, that's tough. That's a high standard. And so we need boatloads of humility to be able to say, oh my gosh, guys, I got it wrong. I was wrong. Or for some of you, let's just start a little, you know, baby steps. I might be wrong, okay? <laughs> it's baby steps, right? I might be wrong. Let's just all say that together. I might, might be, be wrong. wrong. Okay. Now, for those of you who are able to get that out, we can go to the next step and say, I was wrong. So let's try that together. <laughs> I was wrong, right? And that applies to theology as well as to arguments, as well as to how we treat one another. 
it, it, that's how the next step, which is maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, happens is it comes out of this gentleness, us being gentle and patient with one another, carrying one another, and being with, uh, living with humility. Did you want to say something about uh, bonds of peace and stuff, or do you want me to do that? Okay. Yeah, so I had some serious thoughts about this. So first of all, uh, maintaining the unity of a spirit in the bond of peace. So I just want to start with this last word, peace. We often, we, we identify peace as getting along, right? Why can't we all just get along? You know, we see the stickers on the back of cars where it has all the world's religions and it says just get along or whatever along those lines. We just got to get along. We got to stop fighting. And we see that, you know, that if we're not fighting, then that's peace. But that's actually false peace because that is it's pretending that our differences don't exist. And that's glossing over our disagreements. God invites us to true peace. And the bond of peace in this context is actually the bond of health. The word peace here would be better translated as health, but it just sounds weird. The bond of health? What does that mean? It's, it's an image that the body has all of the pieces inside of it that are functioning well. So you know your body well enough to know that if your kidneys are not working, you're not going to live real long, right? If your heart is failing you, you need a heart transplant. And it's this invitation, this calling to live in the bond of health, that we would all function as a healthy body. And that's done in the unity of the spirit. And Heidi and I recently went to an Aspen Grove. Is this where we're talking about the Aspen Grove? We're talking about that later? Okay, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But it's this idea that the spirit resides in each one of us. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. How many Holy Spirits are there? One. one. There's exactly one Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, that same one Holy Spirit, resides in each one of us. And that's what holds us together. It's the fact that God lives in you, and God lives in me, and God lives in her, and God lives in him, that all of us are united together in this one spirit, and that spirit holds us together and makes the body healthy. That's the bond of peace. So we are called or invited into this bond of peace. Oh, he's bringing you a oh, chair. I don't know yeah. that you need more. Thank you. I must, do I look tired? <laughs> I said it was a hard time for me. Thank you. Oh, you're sitting, I'm standing. Oh, it is I love yeah. that. Thanks. Wow, what a guy. You just won me over. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> I got my eyes on you. <laughs> He's married. He's too young. Okay. Yeah. So it, it nice. looks like this bond of health and this spirit of unity is, is, looks like oneness. And that's the next section. So this is kind of fun. This is Paul nerding out, being the rabbi. So he says, one, there's one. Spirit, one body, seven times. So he's a rabbi. He can't help himself. So numbers are a really big deal in the Jewish culture. And so he's wanting you to see, like, if I say this seven times, and you know what this number means, you're going to be like, okay, we know what you're talking about, Paul. So he's talking about unity. And he's talking about oneness. And he really wants to get his point across. So he uses it over. And no, seven and in the Hebrew and in the Jewish culture, seven is the perfect number. I think a lot of, it's the perfect number. It's the number for unity. And so Paul's saying here, the big deal is unity, is unity. And I would go as far to say, as Paul would say, perhaps our biggest problem in the church is that we lack unity. And I think we could say today, one of our maybe still largest problems, I mean, we're very divided, is unity. We're still there. We're still there. So kind of, so Paul uses imagery, lots of different imagery, to 
teach and to pray, to kind of pick, create pictures in our mind. And so the one that I was reminded of this week that I've heard before, and maybe you have, but I think it's beautiful, is we have some pictures up here. This is where Jamie's like, are we going here yet? So this is us camping. The one time we got out this summer, every time I'm like, we're going to be camping three times. And we got out once. Yay, we went camping. So life goals. <laughs> it's really hard to get your grown kids to go camping with you, apparently. But they did one time, and we went camping at an Aspen Grove. And I don't know if you know about Aspen Groves, but something that I think, you can, you can listen and see how you think of it fits. An Aspen Grove is a bunch of trees that grew from one tree. And they all are connected underground. There's one organism. And so basically, genetically, they're all the same. But they're not the same because they're in different locations, right? Some of them get more water, some get less water, some are on the outside where they get lots of wind beaten on them, others are inside and protected. And they all grow from one root system about 15 feet apart. And I think it's a beautiful picture of unity. We all come with, from one organism, from one root system, and genetically we are the same, but we look really different, really different. And there's a unity that's there. So I wanted to show you that. That's our dog. You guys haven't seen him a lot. He was in all the COVID videos. He loves the camera. And then there's Jamie and Amelia. And I thought I wouldn't put my big kids up there without asking them. So, <laughs> yeah. And, tr and I thought trees were appropriate since Paul already has trees on the brain. So. And now I have trees on the brain. Now you do. Yeah, and this, this is true of many types of trees. Uh, in eastern or Western Washington, the Gifford Pinchot National Forest is all old growth Douglas firs that are interconnected in their roots and laminated together so that they're one organism, the whole forest. But every tree is very different. Every tree has different health. Every tree has got different water, different wind, different wounds, different hurts, and that, so it makes them all look differently, and yet they are one, and that's what Paul is inviting us to. And that's that, that word called, again. I just want to point that out. The word called actually means invited. You're invited to live in this, this unity. So the next section is, I moved ahead in my notes, and now I got my wrong spot. So where are we at? How are we, got, how are we doing? Oh. We're doing great. So the next part is the part that you're reading. You're like, what? Oh, when he ascending. ascended on high and he made captive and all this. So when you see the quotations in the Bible, maybe you've been taught this before, um, it means that the Bible's being quoted like from somewhere else. So you can put your finger in there. You can find the end note. So for this one, it would say Psalm 68. And then you can go back and you can read it in the scripture. Uh, however, have you ever noticed this, that sometimes you look back and you're like, that still doesn't make any sense. That's not any clear. In fact, it might be less clear than if I just took it out of there. And I was studying this this week because I'm like, I thought this was supposed to help. And sometimes it'll say, like Paul will say, I'm quoting from Isaiah. And have you ever noticed, yes, he's quoting from Isaiah, but he actually includes something from Micah and Psalms as well. And you're like, how do you have the freedom to do that? Because I don't think I have the freedom to do that when I'm preaching, just change the meanings and things of when I want to. So what is actually going on here? Oh, and also interesting, he just assumes everyone knows. 
If he quotes it, he doesn't tell them. And please go to Psalm 68 where you can find this. It's on verse 5. He assumes so much that they will know their Bible so well that they can find it. He will assume that they know that that was from Isaiah or Micah. And we're like, we have, it's really interesting that he just assumes they know this. So what I learned this week is the New Testament authors actually are not just flipping things and making them up as it seems that they are sometimes, but you have to dig perhaps a lot deeper. And I learned that with this one when I was reading it this week. I was like, what does this have to do with this passage? In a nutshell, this passage is about the exile. Paul assumed that people would know about the exile and the exodus in, um, from the Old Testament. And in this story, the victors, the people who... who um, the victors brought, were giving gifts. So the people who were captive brought gifts to the victor. And Paul switches it. He reverses it and says, this is what God does. God conquers, and then he gives you gifts. Does that make sense? Paul's taking it. He's assuming that they would actually know what was going on. And he flips the whole passage and says, God is the victor. And rather than you having to go and give him gifts and like this... God gives you gifts. It's really quite beautiful. Yeah, and he also takes a whole other thing and flips it on its head. So in the original Exodus, in the book of Exodus, God rescues people from slavery and takes them out. Um, he, and he's taking them out of captivity. And what Paul says here is that God descended and he took captive captivity itself. So just the whole concept, all the things that, that hold us captive, God himself is taking that captive and then giving you a gift in return. He's like, here, let me, take, let me take your captivity, and now let me give you a gift. And it's not just to you personally, it's to y'all. Uh -huh. Let me take, take the captivity from y'all, and I'm going to give y'all some gifts. And he's like scattering. I'm like a farmer sowing seeds. It's a beautiful passage, and he really does flip it on its head. I just wanted to add that. Okay. So from there, you're like, well, what are these gifts? So specifically here... These gifts are the pastor, the shepherd, the apostle, the prophet. Um, and this is not like an exhaustive list. So it, this is just the list of some of the gifts given to the church that grow the church up into maturity. So it's kind of fun if you take all the gifts of the Bible, if you've ever done this, and like list them out and see there's so many gifts. It's not even an exhaustive list. But you ever like, why do they look so different? Why is this one like a list of leaders and this one's, a, they look so different? Because Paul's talking about, or the author's talking about gifts that have to do with different things. So he's going to talk about the different gifts at different times. And so this one actually doesn't have to do with a ton of people in a church community. But what he wants us to see, those of us who do operate, those of us who are those leaders, is that it's a gift from God. And uh, we have no reason to um, think it's anything to do with us to keep us humble. Like, you have your position because it was a gift from God. You're not amazing. Wouldn't that be great if all the pastors could remember that? Wouldn't it be great if we She's could... She's talking about me. Us. Like, wouldn't it be great if all the pastors could remember that God gave us this gift and it really has absolutely nothing to do, to do with you being an amazing human being? Because it doesn't. You realize that the older you get and you're a pastor, you're like, it really has nothing to do with me. So I would like to clarify, because you study these in your master's degree. You're, so what is an apostle? We don't use that word. So all of these gifts are actually things that you can experience outside of the church as well as inside the church. God gifts these things in people. 
um, all the time. So an apostle is just somebody who takes their, the thing that they are uh, gifted with and goes out into a new space. So it might be an entrepreneur, like building a new business in a new town that doesn't have that. It might be uh, somebody who has, looks out in the tech world and invents something new to fill a need or a space. And in the church, it really has to do with carrying the seeds of the gospel into a new space. So sometimes missionaries are apostles because they go and they plant the seeds of the gospel in a place that's never heard it before. And sometimes it's into a town because they identify a group of people that, that just the church isn't able to reach. And so they come with a different way of saying it, a different way of being so that the gospel can be planted there. So that's an apostle. I mean, it takes it and goes someplace where the gospel or the thing isn't. That's an apostle. How about a prophet? So prophets, they're crazy people, and they're the people that you see on television that wear the weird suits and they push people over. That's prophets. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, try again. Okay, try again. <laughs> and so prophets, both in and out of the church, are people who look at the world and say, this isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. So back in the 80s when uh, you know people were saying, oh my gosh, the whales, their whales are disappearing and it's because we're hunting them to extinction. That is not right because these are beautiful creatures and we need to protect them. Those were prophets. And because they understood that in the world we need, you know, the food chain and we need to have these things alive. So they were prophets in a way. And the same is true in, within the church. A prophet within the church is somebody who God reveals to them uh, the way things ought to be in the community. And they speak out and say, look, we are living this way, but God is calling us to live this way. Paul is actually acting very prophetically in calling us to unity in this, in this passage. And he was doing it to y'all back then in Ephesus, you know, a couple thousand years ago, but it's to y'all, to us today. Prophetically speaking, we are divided and we are called to unity. That's, that's prophecy. And an evangelist? Uh, those are also crazy people. <laughs> we uh, saw them at the Mariners game. We saw them at the Mariners game. They stand outside with loud megaphones and, and signs saying, you're go to hell. That's, that's an evangelist. So bad. Uh, yeah, I was like, can I sue them for slander? They're slandering my whole religion. Um, a, a, an evangelist actually is somebody who wins somebody else to their cause. So it's that person who goes in, in the outside, out there in the world. They're like, guys, I got this new vacuum cleaner. It's called a shark, and it's amazing. It weighs so little, and it cleans my whole house. You've got to buy one. And guess what? It's on sale at Costco, right? They, and they're telling you all about it, and you're so excited about it. You go and buy one. That's an evangelist. Now, many of you are going, hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm an evangelist. I didn't think I was an evangelist, but maybe I am. Uh, so in the church, then it applies to your faith. You win people to the faith by sharing what you believe and who God is and God's goodness in such a way that it's winning them to the side of Jesus. That's an evangelist. And we all have a little bit of evangelist in us um, for good or ill. <laughs> yeah. And pastor, teacher? Um, pastors and teachers. Now, you know, the teachers are kind of obvious, right? They teach the Word of God. They teach uh, in that, do you see it in schools? You know, elementary schools, there's a lot of teachers. There's a lot of teachers in this town. So it's really obvious what a teacher is in the church. They teach us the Word of God. They teach us not just knowledge, but help to bring understanding. And that's the goal of a teacher. And a pastor is one who cares for and promotes health and encourages and lifts up and carries and leads. That's the pastor in this context. And you see those as business leaders. You see them as managers. You see them as HR people. You see them as doctors and nurses. Um, it just shows up at different places. When you have that nurse with a great bedside manner, 
who just really looks you in the eye and says, I'm so sorry you're sick, that's, that's a person with a pastoral gift. Now, whether we're good pastors or teachers, we'll leave that up to you guys to decide. But all of these parts, all of these pieces, um, you know, it's meant for the whole church, and it's scattered about, and some of you might look at it and go, oh, it's just for leaders. But the way the Greek of this works out is it's kind of saying, like, look, we have the seeds of this in this room, and as you grow to maturity, these gifts will begin coming out of you. And you can be an immature prophet. We've all seen that. You could be an immature evangelist, if that's what's going on down at, at Safeco Field. You could be an immature teacher. But as you grow up into all things, it's the full measure of Christ, these things will begin to be released in you in some ways. And sometimes God just ignites them for a moment so that you can serve in a position. And sometimes it's a lifetime thing. But all of us are gifted in some way, somehow, and it will come out of us as we grow to maturity because that is the point. It's all meant to bring us up together, to grow us into maturity in Christ. That's, that's the gifts. So when I'm sitting with a passage each week, and I kind of, I first, when I've done all my studying, and I'm like, God, what do you have for me? What are you, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to remember? What do you want me to share with, with your people? Like, what do you want to say through me? And I think where I was landing this week, and it just kind of was sitting in my head, is um, a prayer that I would be a gentle person, a prayer that I would learn to be humble. Learning to be humble means you have to be wrong. Um, learning to, I was landing at the end to speak. You grow up so that you can learn to speak the truth in love. And I was just meditating on speaking the truth in love. And I think that I grew up where loving was to keep your mouth shut. I did the most loving thing. I said nothing. I've actually heard that a lot. And I have a friend who has taught me a lot, I would say, about what this looks like to speak the truth in love. And I know that when she sees things in other people, this is what she does because she's told me. And it's so true, is it not, that it is easier for you all to see the log in my eye and for you to see the log in other people's eyes often than to see the, the, am I saying it wrong? Did I flip it? You know what I mean? I flipped it. I'm like, this isn't coming out right. But I see the log in your eye, in your eye, in your eye, rather than, or splinter. Yeah, splinter. Jeez, I'm butchering this lesson. The splinter in your eyes rather than the log in my own. So this friend says when she sees something in somebody else's life, she just sits with it. And she prays about it. And she asks God, is this something you want me to say to them? Or is this something you want me to pray about for them? Sometimes God will show you something and you will say absolutely nothing. You're simply called to pray and to think about it. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, I actually do want you to say something to that person. And then you take your time, and I've seen her wait and wait till the Holy Spirit has showed her a loving way to say it. It could take a while. Why, in our, why do we think we have to say it so fast? Why do I think because the Holy Spirit showed me something I need to tell you this week? People are very slow to change a girl. I could wait a few months until I've sat with it and prayed about it, unless the Holy Spirit says, I want you to tell them now. 
So I think to speak the truth in love, I think this is a beautiful example. You, you, is this really from you, God? Do you want me just to pray? Or do you want me to say something? And when do you want me to say something? You don't say something to somebody the night before they're going to have surgery. I mean, that's not loving. Or they just had surgery. Or their kid is really sick. Or they're going to start a stressful job the next day. Or they're, you know what I mean? Like, timing is about speaking the truth in love. And I think that if we could commit to those things as a community, how safe would we be? How safe would we be if I trusted that you had prayed about it, that you thought about how to say it, and then you speak something? That's maturity, because you're gentle, you're not, you're patient, you're not rushing, and you're bearing one another. Even if you have never even seen anything to them, you're carrying them by praying for them. As you talked about that, I was, you, you actually wound up saying it, but I just want to say, that's a mature person. That's a mature Christian. That's maturity in Christ. It's really interesting because out there in the world, we look at giftedness and authority as maturity. But in here in the church, giftedness has nothing, nothing to do with maturity. It is 100% love. The measure of the love of Christ that is in you, your ability to love well is what makes you a mature person in Christ. And the person she's talking about may or may not be in this room, but they are a mature person in Christ, and thank you for being that person. Now you're all wondering, was it me? <laughs> was, it, was that person me? I hope so. I hope all of you are that person by the time we're done with this. So, go for it. You were gonna end with a talk with a, you were gonna share the quote, and okay. I was gonna talk yeah. about the quote, I think. So, if you've gotten used to me, I love quotes. And often when I'm studying throughout the week, there's just one that lands in my head that it just kind of sits there. And this one is by Dallas Willard. Um, Dallas Willard, if you don't know him, is a very wise man. He had been a professor for most of his life. And as he got older, he began to look more at the spiritual life and write on the spiritual life. And here's a quote from him. I wrote, and Jamie's like, mm, I wrote, he was a good observer of conservative Christian Western traditions. And Jamie's like, how about you just say he was a soul formation guru? <laughs> that's but that's what he thing. was. Yeah. He was an observer of Christian, conservative Christian culture. And he could see things that we couldn't see. And this is one, and I was like, oh, man. Your system is perfectly designed to get the result that you are getting now. You might want to write that down. Ouch. And put it on your refrigerator. Or not. Maybe just, <laughs> I was like, ouch. Tattoo it on your forearm. No, don't do that. Something more uplifting. Something it's else. true, though. Your system is perfectly designed. There are caveats, but we all know that. Life happens. So Paul here in this passage and, and throughout Ephesians is really addressing systems. Out there is a system. Out there in the world where there is death, where there is slavery, where there is division, where there is hatred, there is a system. In here, in the body of Christ, where God is breaking in through Jesus Christ, there is all of those opposite things. There is freedom, there is joy, there is peace, there is shalom, there is health. There could be, because God, God is bringing them. And, and so he's, this quote really brings us to look at the system. So Paul says, look, this is what God did. He descended to the captives, and he rescued them, and he brought them all up. 
he saved them. You are the saved people. And then he set them free, and then he gifted them gifts so that they could grow up into all things into maturity and not be blown about, not be divided, but to be unified in Christ. So when we look at this, we go, okay, this is the new system. I was living in this old system, and now I look at the results of my life, and I say, uh, what are the results of my system? What system am I living in? Your system is perfectly designed to get the results that you are getting right now. So if you are experiencing overwhelming anxiety, if you are experiencing uh, big division in your marriage, if you're experiencing uh, slavery, you're like bondage to something, addiction, um, maybe it's to you're holding a bitterness or an anger, the system that your life is living is perfectly designed to allow for those things. And if you want something different, you gotta disrupt the system. And that's what Jesus did, he disrupted the system. And we are invited into that disruption to allow our system, allow the Holy Spirit to come and disrupt the system in us. The system that says I'm not gifted, that I'm not valuable, that I'm not loved. Jesus is disrupting that. He's like, no, you are loved. You are saved. You are secure. You are gifted. You are, you are good in the kingdom of God. When you, you're living in a system, Heidi and I were talking about a system last night where you're just constantly looking for the smile from somebody else. You just want that smile to feel good about yourself. The system that God is inviting you into is to see his smile and to live from that sense of I'm his child and so the world is completely different. Now I walk in security because of his love not because I'm trying to earn it from others. Out there, the world is dominated by rulers and powers. Out there, maturity is measured by giftedness. Out there, people are working under their own power. They're isolated and they're alone. They're looking for resources to make it on their own strength. Out there, people are looking for belonging, trying to find places to fit in, scrabbling and searching for meaning. But in here, it's a different system. So the question is, what is the outcome of your system, the system that y'all are living in? What is the outcome of the system of this church and how we relate together? And the invitation is to grow up to the measure of Christ and to live in maturity, not to no longer be a, I like Eugene Peterson, no more stalled infancies here, <laughs> you know, we're not going to get stuck as babies, you know, he's saying that I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid, we're not doing that. We're not living in our cradles anymore. We are being called from wherever we're at to grow up into maturity and to live out of a new system. That's that quote. And so maybe we ought to end with allowing people a moment to reflect on the outcomes of their system, the outcome of your system, the outcome of my system. I've been reflecting on since she read that quote to me. I was like, oh, shoot. I don't like it. But we're going to take a minute. And can we put the quote back up? I think it's, is it? No, it's not up. Let's put the quote back up. We're just going to give you a minute and ponder. What is the outcome, the result of the system that you're living in?
I was thinking um, when I was thinking about this quote. Um, sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves as Christians, and I don't want us to leave with a, hmm, like, oh, oh me, oh my. Like, there's places for repentance in our hearts. But I want you to leave with a more of a desire to be gentle and humble and to carry one another than to leave with this quote, the oh my. Does that make sense? Like, in my heart and my spirit, I thought, don't send them out this week with a heavy, heavy load to carry because life is hard enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't want to send you away that way. I want to send you away with a hope and a desire and a longing and knowing how much you are loved by God. And so I felt a check in my heart to stop and to step back and to ask you to look at this a little differently. And I realized that is not how I want you to go and that is not how I want to go this week. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, okay, real briefly. It's, it's a benediction. God, may we go this week in the light and the grace and the kindness of you, even in the repentance, even in seeing ourselves as, really, as we really are. May we have a desire to grow up together, to offer each other, and to learn how to speak loving. May that be what it's really about. May we really desire to learn how to speak the truth in love. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You want to sing? I always like singing. I'm a singer. Do you guys stand? And let's sing the doxology. It's a good song after that. That God does love us. And so we praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all God's grace. Jesus loves you. You heard nothing else. I mean, he really does. And we love you too. And we will see you next week. Grab an Italian soda or a welcome box. We'll see you next week.